Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Gail. I mean, Ben Bumhofer. How you doing, Ben? One second. Um, Auto-saving? Okay, good. Okay, okay. Sorry. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> nice to see you there, Will. I mean, Ryan. Oh, God. If you can't tell, <laughs> we've been playing just a little bit of Baldur's Gate 3. And when I say a little bit, I mean it's consumed all of our free time for the it, last week and a half. To, to put it just, just bluntly, last weekend, I was up until 3.30 Friday night, which I haven't done in a very long time. And then Same. so I'm like, okay, I need to get you know back on schedule and stuff, even though I still have Sunday off and everything. And then uh, Nevermore and I were up until 4 o'clock Sunday night or uh, Saturday night. So, yeah, it's it's last weekend wow. was one of those things where it was just like. Oh, it's one. I can do a little bit more. Oh, God, it's 4 a.m. Yeah, that I'm is going to exactly pay for this in the morning with my children and such the next night. Uh, I need to make sure I go to bed earlier. It's 4:30 a.m. Oh, my goodness. What have I done? <laughs> I'm going to pay for this so bad. Don't worry. It's Sunday now. It's a work day tomorrow. I will make sure I go to bed early. It's 2 a.m. <sighs> yeah, I, I was actually responsible Sunday night. I was done at about 1230. So, yeah, yeah that that first weekend was was uh, is is hard. It's so good. Oh no! That I first said, weekend, I I could barely play because I had uh, like prep and was busy and everything. So last weekend is when it finally really took off for me. So yeah, mm. it it wow, just wow. Well, the the player peak last weekend was actually higher than the first weekend, which yeah. is very unusual. Word of mouth from for, the first weekend got out. Mm -hmm. It's got to be it. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it does it again this mm -hmm. this weekend. As I can well, see it happening. because there's no big, big release up until Starfield comes out in September. Yeah. And at this point, I don't care about Starfield, which I was really Isn't looking forward wild? to. That. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Like, yeah. I, yeah, my, my caring to play that has gone down massively because it, this is going to be my game for probably the next several weeks, if not months. Yeah. I am probably just going to be focused on this until the next Spider-Man game comes out in October. And I hope that I'm done by then because, okay. So basically if you, if you're not catching, uh, catching all this, this game is amazing. We're talking about it on, on a Dungeons and Dragons podcast because it is essentially a digital Dungeons and Dragons game for your computer. Uh, soon it's, to be coming out for PlayStation. It's wild. It's the, if you've if you've played Larian games, so Larian Studios made Baldur's Gate three. Baldur's Gate, of course, is a a huge series. Baldur's Gate one and two, I think, were Bioware. Mm -hmm. um, they're both uh, very highly uh, liked games, but it's been like twenty years since there's been a sequel. Uh, so this is this is a fairly big deal bringing this back and then making it turn based, uh, a CRPG, um, making it turn based which is in theory, not a super popular or made game type. 
it's a it's a very niche game type. Uh, so for a game that hasn't had a sequel in 20 years based on D&D and turn based to come out like this and just do these numbers, we're talking like 800,000 plus peak players on Steam. It's number like eight or nine on Steam's highest peak a single player game with, you know, with some co-op components, but essentially a a single player game, full priced game. And boy, can I tell you, this is of all the games that I have bought in the last several years. I don't feel like I wasted a penny on this Mm -hmm. because I I honestly, I honestly feel like I got a deal (laughs) At $60 for this game. Like it is, it is fully formed. There is no microtransactions. There is no additional DLC stuff except the, the deluxe edition, uh, which they even say at the bottom, you don't need to buy this, but all the early access people who, who bought the game got it for free, which Mm -hmm. is super cool. And so it's, it's just a breath of fresh air from a gaming perspective. Exactly. And just to give you an idea, one of the reasons why, you know, I really feel like I've got my money's worth. Um, so I'm looking at my steam library right now. I am 50.1 hours into this game and I am still doing the first part of the game. Um, like the, you get to a point where you, you do some quests and then they lead you to like, you know, a loading screen and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you might want to, you know, tie up any loose ends before you go here. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I've gotten to that point where I can, but I've still got a bunch more quests still got stuff to, you do. to do. Yeah. And so I'm 50 hours in. Well, okay. I, I should say that that's split between three different characters, but regardless on my main playthrough, I'm probably a good 20 to 30 hours of that. And easily actually probably more like 40 hours of that. Um, and I still have a lot to do in the first area. And this is this is legitimately D&D. This is I of any game that has been made. This by far captures the essence of what it's like to actually play D&D online or at a table. The The game is basically the DM guiding. There's even a narrator, a DM like mm-hmm. like uh, character that narrates certain things. But from a rules perspective, it is 90 to 95 percent pure D&D rules. So if you know it, you will immediately be familiar with it. Uh, yeah. There are some homebrew tweaks. We'll talk about those shortly because there's there's a lot of stuff we can we can talk about. A lot of things I think the real D&D gig could learn from this game about making it more fun. But the the way they've done it is they've basically made it a little more fun for the video game standpoint. Some mm-hmm. things are tweaked here and there, but from like decisions you can make to uh, uh, the uh, different dialogue trees, decisions that can affect other decisions, mm-hmm. uh, being able to use the environment and effects and conditions in combat, height, uh, uh, elevation comes into play massively uh, comboing. There's all sorts of magic items, potions. Uh, It's, it's D and D. If you played through this game, you would, 
for the most part, know how to play D&D with a group afterwards. Yeah, and it does so many like subtle things as well that just kind of uh, play into it. Like you could just be, you know, walking your party along the map and then all of a sudden you see all the characters in your party roll for survival or something. And if you all fail, that's it. You just keep kind of going about your way. You don't really do anything. But if someone, you know, hits whatever uh, DC they need to hit, all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And then something could be highlighted uh, for you to kind of look at to be like, oh, there's something that was hidden there that I didn't see because I didn't make the role. But this other person in my party did. That's pretty cool. Um, but on top of that, too, how you're talking about how like your decisions matter. You know, this is a world that does continue going and moving um, based on how you do things in certain orders. Like there's this one part where, uh, you know, I got to an area, I didn't fully explore it or anything. And I just kind of like, okay, cool. Well, we'll kind of come back to that later. I walked away, went to another part, finished something completely, came back to that first area. And then a major shift had happened in what was going on. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll continue to go through and completely explore this area. I get down to like some water and, um, there are these enemies that are kind of, you know, on some cliffs by this water and everything that I killed them. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Started looking around and there's just a, a body there. And I'm like, Oh, this is a bummer, but there was no quest for it. No follow up, nothing with it. So I'm like, okay, well, I have no idea what's going on here. So, okay. In a, uh, different character, I, I was playing with some other people. We fully explored that first area and it turns out that, that body is of a kid who is being lured out to where I had found the dead body on the other character. And because we did that first, we actually had a chance to save this kid. And it completely blew my mind that that was something that could happen because I, I had no idea that, it, you know, the, the storytelling and everything was so complex in this game that all of a sudden There's it's like time-based stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Oh, Oh no, that's not good. And I got a little bummed about that. And, you know, I missed certain interactions because I didn't, you know, explore that whole area first, you know, this whole group of people left. Whereas that second playthrough, where I was with everybody else, I got this really just absolutely gorgeous interaction that, that happened when I was playing as a bard and I loved it. It, it was, it was just mind blowingly great to the point where like I was tearing up. It was so good. You know, it's just there. there's so much going on all over the place that, you know, it's a well-crafted story. It's a well-crafted world and really fits in. And then just like you were saying, if you know how to play D&D, you'd know and understand the mechanics of this game, like pretty much right away. In fact, one of the neat things about it is like I got in, I jumped in like, OK, well, I know what a bonus action is. I know what an action is, what a cantrip is. I know, you know, these different abilities. I understand the mechanics of you know, uh, action economy and everything. Um, and then I'm just like, okay, well me being a, the person that I am, I'm on YouTube. I look at things on YouTube and, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, 10 tips that, you know, uh, spell casting, like all, you know, all these different videos kind of have breakdowns of things you need to know when you're first starting out and all this stuff. And like every single tip of every single video that I've watched those, I've probably seen like four or five of them. Pretty much everything is something I knew just because I play Dungeons and Dragons. So mm -hmm. if you don't know how to play D&D and you're very, you know, like scared about it or intimidated by the rules and everything like that, this game is a perfect way to get into it and learn about all these different things without having to, you know, 
feel bad that you're slowing up a game learning as you're playing or something along those lines. Even though every table I've been at, that's never a problem. You should still play in person with other people because it's a lot of fun if you're able to. But this game just helps add so much more knowledge base to how to play. Yeah, yeah. And I and just uh, as a note real fast, as you can probably tell already, this is a spoiler free discussion. We're not going to discuss any specific plot yes. points. We're not going to discuss any specific areas or anything because uh, we don't. This is this is a game that needs to be experienced. <laughs> yes. Uh, this, as, as Ben said, I've I've tried to stay away from most any sort of story things mm-hmm. or spoilers because there has been. I mean, if you're just on the Internet, there's been 10 bajillion articles written about this game so far and every single thing. Hilariously, most of them aren't even about Act 3 because the majority of the people aren't even there (laughs) because (laughs) it takes so it takes so long to get there. Um, But yeah, no, I it's it's definitely a little intimidating. It doesn't hold your hand quite as much as I'd like to at the beginning. There mm-hmm. are tutorials, so make sure that those are those are turned on. Yeah. Um and so it takes it takes a little bit to learn. If you're brand new, remember you can change the difficulty. So sometimes it might it might be easier to start in the story mode to kind of get your feet under you first mm-hmm. yep. and get the uh get, learn the mechanics then move up to the the middle one which is kind of where they they said they expect the majority of the games to play where it's um, the mix of the story, but also challenging at the same time. Uh, so, yeah, I I have I have been nothing but impressed by the the dialogue, the voice acting, the animations, the art, the the, the D&D references. There's just, you know, everywhere. It's an incredibly interesting story incredibly interesting companions it reminds me of bioware games of old mm-hmm. uh yeah in the best way in the best way um and so yeah i i cannot recommend this game enough not just if you like video games uh or not and not even just if you like D. it is just a good game it's not even just a good D game it's, it's just a which good game. it is but it yeah. is a good game Uh, Um, So I could highly recommend that to anyone. Yeah. Uh, One thing I will say, though, uh, and I'm just going to throw this tip out there because I think it's very handy. Um, F5 is your friend. That's quick save. Uh, Maybe do that before you, I don't know, do really interesting things, because sometimes you might have consequences where everybody dies, which I've done before many times in this game, which is one of the fun things, because Sometimes you don't know what's going to happen based off of what you do, because you can start something that causes a chain reaction in different ways that affects different things. And it's just amazing to see how some of this stuff works and all There's the just systems little they details have in place. everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. The, the details, the systems that they have in place to, to like have things interact with each other in certain ways. I mean, it, it, it really is pretty much a masterpiece. It is, definitely in my top three best games of all time already. And I'm so early in it. Same here. Same here. Like literally as we're talking, one of my buddies messaged me on steam and said, I just shoved a dwarf off a wall who had taken a shrinking potion. He hit the ground with five HP left and made a high pitched grunt because he was (laughs) tiny. Like 
Just just stuff like that. There are so many small details in this game that continue to make me marvel and go, oh, my goodness. Like speaking with animals like that's a oh, that's, that's a one of the best things thing. in the world. Super, super cool. You can talk with most of the animals, speak with dead. Like there's a ton of corpses you can talk to. And I need Ask to do the that five questions. Like it's 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 absolutely incredible that so much of it just like if you think it should just work. Normally it does, mm -hmm. which is, which is incredible to me. It's, it's incredibly intuitive. What if I shoved this person? What if I cast speak with dead and talk to this corpse? Like what if I try and speak with animals? Oh, they might tell me X, Y, Z about, uh, where valuable loot is or give me a quest or, mm -hmm. <laughs> or tip me off to something like it's, it's absolutely incredible. Yes. Uh, just the small details of this um all the companions are incredibly well done mm -hmm. uh there's so much replayability i i mean they have they have all 12 classes each class has at least at least three subclasses mm -hmm. uh, some have more to it uh you can play as a custom character with like 10 or 11 different races Which they even recommend doing for your first playthrough yeah yeah you can play as the the or uh, the companion characters, like the six main companion characters. There's a special character called the Dark Urge Origin, uh, Origin that is basically kind of like an evil, like a straight up evil playthrough. Like there, there is just so much replayability mm -hmm. in this game. You can play with up to four friends in co-op, yes, which is so a you lot can of just, fun. You just spread out and play and do stuff. And if someone starts a conversation, there's even a little icon that pops up next to their portrait that you can just click on wherever you are in the world yep. and jump into the conversation to watch it and then recommend vote on your preferred uh, dialogue. Oh, you're option. able to like click on it and say which yeah. one you think. Oh, yeah, I didn't know little, that. Yeah, it'll put your little icon next to it that the person who initiated the conversation can see. And they'll know, hey, this person voted on this dialogue. Oh, that's a C. I didn't even know that. And I've, I've done four player multiplayer. I just I just assume that they have complete control. I'm not going to try and click one of these things. Although it yeah, is heck, it is weird that it does say that your character says the thing, even though you're not there. But yeah, yeah that's just the thing. Yeah, heck, heck, the they even have a, I believe, a Twitch integration. Yes, Let, they let's do. Twitch chat vote on dialogue options. Yeah, for, for streamers like and just, then, it's it's super cool. Yeah, they have a whole plugin where you can like see the their build and everything like that. It's it's great. Um, one thing I know we're we're praising the heck out of this. One thing we do need to throw out there is that it is rated mature. So again, at yes. least in in, and in the states, a very mature game. Yes, for every reason you can think of, it is a mature game. Um, but I mean, if if you're old enough or if you're a uh, kid is mature enough and you deem it appropriate for them. Uh, it is a fantastic game. I love it. I, in fact, I, I, I kind of just want to end the show now so that I can play some more. That's, that's how <laughs> I, I haven't had the urge to like take off work for a day to play a game or stay up until two or 3 AM to play. I haven't had that urge in years. Like this is this is this is very special. This is probably like a once in a decade type of game. Um, and just Larian deserves all the praise, all the mm -hmm. kudos for 
just putting together an absolute masterpiece. Definitely. And I'll be playing this for years to come. And because it is kind of out there, I'm just going to say it is a goal for triple a titles to achieve, put out a complete game that is this in depth. Yeah. Like that's, they, they really, they, they really set a bar, right? Yeah. They, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. So, um, um, yeah, I you know other than just repeating ourselves and saying it's good over and over again, I think we need to 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 move forward and 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 talk about some of these really cool like you yeah, know homebrew yeah. rules that let's I, let's dive into that a bit. I do some of them in my home game, and uh, I can see why pretty much all of these were done for the game. Yeah, they they all these things. So basically, just think of Baldur's Gate three as a DM's homebrewed game. Like it's it's they set it in an official setting and they homebrewed some of the rules to make it more fun and interesting. And hilariously, as I'm playing through the game, so much of this, I look at and go. This should be the real game. This should be the real game. This makes this more fun. Mm -hmm. This should be the real game. And and to their credit, some of the 2024 stuff we've seen uh, a lot, a lot of the, the biggest stuff. Um, I feel like has been moving certain things from actions to bonus actions. Yes. Uh, and Larian Larian did a lot of that to, to the better. Um, we have seen a trend, a little bit of a trend toward that for the 2024 stuff in the UA. They have been kind of moving that direction. I want to see more, especially like with how good this game is and looking at this, like if it works for a video game, it could work for the tabletop to make it more fun, to make the turns more interesting, to give you more stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, um, they're like, uh, they have a, a simple, uh, and this is a little more video gamey. They have a simple cover system instead of AC. If your character's 10 feet higher than an enemy character, you get a plus two to hit bonus. And if they're 10 feet lower, you get a minus two to hit bonus. That's the cover system in this game. Uh, players with shared initiatives, like if you roll the same initiative, can act at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to pick one or the other necessarily to go first. You can just kind of, especially if you're playing co-op, you can just both go at the same time. Um, they've they've changed, and this is this is more for the game, I think. They've changed the long and short rest thing. You actually have to have like... Uh, there's a limited supply of camp supplies that you have to use to mm-hmm. long rest. You can only short rest twice in between a long rest. And instead of hit dice, it just restores half your health and any of your short rest stuff. Though, honestly, I do think limiting short rest per day is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's something you could totally do and should consider in a, in a real game uh, to keep from getting it bogged down and to keep from, uh, constantly having to, if you, you have short rest classes, make them think about using their resources a little more smartly instead of I had a fight. Okay. Let's short rest, short mm-hmm. rest immediately type thing. Exactly. So I, I think, I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, each weapon has a set of weapon actions that can be used once per short rest. This is hilarious because this has been a development for 
five or six years, right? Yep. <laughs> but this is very much uh, akin to the new weapon proficiencies. Yeah, which is really cool that we're kind of getting a sneak peek of that in this. Yeah, um, and on top of that too, anybody who can use the weapon who's proficient in it gets this action as opposed to, you know, it being uh, restricted to like, you know, martial classes like it's going to be in uh, D&D 2024. Yeah, but so I, I, I cool. think I think it's, yeah, I think it's good. I think it's really good. Um, it, like you said, it's kind of a kind of a precursor. Um, shoving, jumping and drinking a potion are all bonus actions. Very good. Yeah. Big old thumbs up. That's going to be in my games. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I think I think in the actual game, jumping just uses your movement. Yeah. Um, but, but shoving specifically, I think could be super cool because that gives you a chance if you want to use your bonus action on it to potentially get somebody out of the way so you don't have to spend a disengage mm -hmm. on them and knock them away either knock them prone or knock them away from you so that you can move without an attack of opportunity because the attack attack of opportunity is one of those things that is i think a, a mixed mixed bag Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of nice to have, but it's something that I feel like also scares people from moving when they're next to and and being more strategic about placement and where they're going and moving around the battlefield and such. That so I love I love the idea of shove being a bonus action so that if you want or if you don't have something else to use your bonus action for, you can attempt to shove a person back five feet. Uh, I believe within the game, the uh, distance you can shove them is based kind of on your strength modifier, mm -hmm. but it would be very easy for uh, like if you wanted to make a simple rule for your for your home game to say, OK, if you beat the athlete, you make a contested athletics check. If you win, you shut. You can either knock them prone or shove them five feet. If you beat them by double, like if they roll a six and you roll a twelve or they roll an eight and you roll a 16, then uh, you push them 10 feet. And so the amount then, then not only can they do it, enemies can do it too. So then the amount of movement and uh, displacement around the battlefield becomes so much more interesting in yeah. my opinion. And on top of that too, it really kind of adds more to like that, that swashbuckling look when you're, you know, having a sword fight, like in a movie or something, how it's like, you know, attack, attack, and then, you know, kind of shove someone so that they, you know, get either off balance or out of the way. And then you can either run or, or reposition or something along those lines. So I like the idea of, again, just making combat more um, visceral and, and movable. It, it works out really well. Plus, you know, it's just one way of if you don't like the dude in front of you, just shove him away. Just let him know. You know, it totally works that way. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also bonus action attacks such as offhand attacks don't require the main hand attack to be made first. I also like this because if you're next to somebody and, you know, your main hand attack is almost assuredly going to do more damage mm -hmm. than your than your offhand um, just because the way offhand stuff works. So. If you got a guy in front of you who looks like they're super hurt, I would don't want to waste my main hand attack on him. I want to try and use my smaller attack to finish him off and then run to someone else and use my main hand mm -hmm. attack. This has been super useful for like rogues. Um, oh, definitely. I have, I have made use of that several times 
where I'm doing do a small melee to finish somebody off and then run over to another guy and do my big attack. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, there's been some changes to like some spell casting and stuff too, which I think is amazing. Um, first and foremost is that that you can do an action spell and a bonus action spell on the same turn. It's not restricted to one of them has to be a cantrip or one of them has to be like within a certain level or anything like that. Um, I do this in my game and so far hasn't been super overpowered. And I'll say while playing this, it has definitely saved my butt. Uh, when I've gotten a cure wounds and a healing word in one turn from the same person, uh, considering, you know, healing spells, yeah, they give you some health, but they really don't give you a ton unless you really start up casting them a lot. Yeah. So or get really lucky on your rolls. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think that that's great. Um, one thing this that is, is huge. We talked about it before. We've mm -hmm. talked about this multiple times. It's still resource usage. They're exactly. still using the resource for it. Let the people do it. There's one, there needs to be more bonus action wizards. There needs to be more bonus action spells, more official bonus action spells. But number two, most bonus action spells are supporty or movement based or, you know, stuff like that. Very few of them are actually damage based. So why, if the person is willing to expend the resources, do we not want to let them do that in the same turn so they can do some cool combos. I've done so many combos of Misty Step plus Fireball or something <laughs> like that, that that have just super cool that I never could have pulled off otherwise. And it just feels mm -hmm. so satisfying. Yeah, like, exactly. That's, that's something I'm never not going to use in my games. Yeah, because it, it just makes sense to me. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Clerics, druids, and wizards can change their prepared spells anytime outside of combat, which I've used so many times in this game. Um, I understand why it wouldn't work as well at a table, but I also understand why some people might want to do that at their table. Um, you know, having a wizard who has access to their entire spellbook the entire time so that they know, oh, we need to walk on water. I didn't prep that today. Oh, now it's there. You know, it, it gives you an opportunity to kind of be the Swiss army knife, you know, instead of like having to wait till the next day to, to you know, continue moving the story forward or something like that. Um, one other big change to spell casting is there's no, you know, verbal, somatic or material components, which would be really weird and like incredibly detail oriented in this game. So they made it, you know, video game wise, totally. Works. Some things you just got to simplify. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, I haven't run into this, but apparently some spells can be cast when you're either silenced or hidden. So don't know. Haven't tried that. Uh, we'll see. But um, the one of the best things that I absolutely love is that the longer duration spells will last until you take a long rest. Like speak yes. with animals. Um, I will always have that on my character because I want to always talk to somebody. I think that's great. Uh, like this guy cast it at the beginning of the day mm -hmm. and then you've got it until you take a long rest again. Exactly. This guy speak with dead on there. Oh, speak with dead is like that too. I did not know that. And if that's ritual, cast I, it, it, that's even better. Yeah. I don't remember if, if it was, and then you can cast it again. I know for, for a fact, there's the, there's a magic item that lets you do that. Mm -hmm. So, but either way, they do have ritual spells yeah. too that lets you cast stuff without spell slot when you're out of combat. Yeah, find familiar is one of those things. That's great. Absolutely love that. Um, Mage armor is another one. Put it on yourself. You have it until long rest. 
it's great. You know, there, there's a lot of different things that, you know, change the way that you're looking. Um, you know, what, if it's a ritual spell, do it in your camp when you're starting out at the day and then just, you know, swap out your spell slots to, to other stuff. Uh, certain things like, like mage armor or whatever, put it on yourself. You're set. You're done. The resource is already used, but you know what? You didn't have to waste time to spend an action in combat to throw it on yourself. It's just there. Absolutely love that stuff. Um, something that I use in my game, uh, anybody can use a spell scroll. So, you know, you can, if you pick up a spell scroll, you can cast from it because why would I limit loot that, that people can find to only one person who can cast that spell? I want to have the barbarian be able to be like, oh yeah, well, burning hands to the four people in front of me or something, you know, it, it's just one of those extra things that I think adds more fun to it. So I totally have that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, ritual casting, because it's a video game, it's not going to take you 10 minutes to cast something. It's just, it just does, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it, I think they, they've got it. So if you're out of combat, it doesn't use a spell slot and it does if you're in combat, mm -hmm. which makes that's sense. That's just, just kind of, yeah, that's just kind of how it is. So, uh, no, overall, like you were saying, there's a lot of, there, there's some of those that are there because it's a video game and it makes sense. But there are some of those like the spell casting, like the bonus action shove and and potion drinking and stuff like that. Uh, the offhand attack as a bonus action without having to do the main hand attack first. There's a, a lot of that type of stuff that I think real D&D &D could learn from and should implement because it would make the actual game more fun. Mm -hmm, exactly. Gosh, you know, there's there's a ton of different changes. Um, I, we can't go through this whole list because it's it's a lot. But um, some of the things uh, that I think that are great are um, like you get key points back automatically at first level with a short rest as opposed to having to wait until like what fourth, fifth level or something like that. Um, let's see. Uh, sorcerers get meta magic at level two and then they get their third meta magic at level three, which is great. Yeah, they 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 shored up some of the um, deficient classes, like giving a little extra key uh, for monks. Uh, then the, some more stuff with the meta magic for sorcerers. Mm -hmm. The beast master's pet is much more self sufficient. Like yeah. I don't believe you have to spend your own actions and such to to have them attack. Which, in in my opinion, that's how it should be. Mm -hmm. They should be their own thing, and they scale as well which uh which needs they to do not they do not scale super well in the actual game so i mean just looking at that type of stuff like that's the type of stuff that needs to be an actual D D. that would make beastmaster rangers much more interesting that would mm -hmm. make their pets much better uh you know the they've already talked about uh I don't think they talked about adding extra key points, but they talked about reducing the key cost of some of the subclasses things in some of the UA because of this fact It was just very expensive. So, yeah, I believe so. Something like that. Um, and then there's a couple different racial things that are changed where uh, basically everybody gets a plus two plus one, which is kind of the alternate version of, um, you know, how wizards is kind of going towards for character creation. Um, on top of that, like elves and, and drow don't actually have a trance instead of sleeping because, you know, they're doing a long rest or everybody's sleeping at the same time. Drow aren't weaker in sunlight because 
that'd be pretty lame if your main character's walking around in the daytime all the time and you're just weak, you know. And most most of the game so far has been date. Yeah, <laughs> so far. Um, halflings can't pass through other creature spaces. I mean, that that's fine. That's not a big deal. Just kind of go around. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, and then one of the greatest things ever is that forest gnomes have a permanent speak with animals, which uh, my monk is a forest gnome specifically for that reason. Yeah. Again, speak with animals. Very cool. Yeah. In this game. Yeah, and, and honestly... And just kind of moving on from the rules stuff, just as a DM, this game has given me so much inspiration Mm -hmm. for for doing things like like the speak with animals stuff, like the speak with dead stuff. Um, It has given me great ideas uh, mechanically for fights. There have been some very interesting Mm -hmm. fights mechanically that have had other stuff going on that you have to figure out or that you have to, they have to do. Uh, it's a lot of, it's not just generic stuff. There's a lot of depth and a lot of nuance, uh, especially to like these big boss battles uh, where you can do extra things or there's extra things that you can somehow mitigate if you did X, Y, Z, or if you in, in some ways cheese it <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found I found uh, magic missiles has been super handy for cheesing uh, a few things because they auto hit and I don't necessarily need to be in line of sight to 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 shoot them so that there's a lot of really unique things I've been able to do with that. But just from from a DMing perspective, it has given me so many ideas for my own future games uh, for encounters and just how to use uh, how to use items in the world or populating the world with those items that players can use using elevation using terrain using statues that you can shoot or hit and knock over onto people you know things like that are just so cool and make me want to do more of those types of things in my game i found uh, well let's put it this way a uh, helpful tip number two from Ben. Um, if you happen to cast anything that's summonable, like say a spiritual weapon or a flame orb or something, they have hit points and enemies like to attack them. That comes in really handy if you're overwhelmed. It'll give you at least an extra round because everything's attacking the thing that, that appeared next to them. Highly recommend it. <laughs> It has saved me quite a few times. Yeah, I think no, I think that's I think that's super cool uh, that they they have stuff like that. But yeah, no, it just as even just as a DM, I, I can recommend this to other DMs to learn from mm-hmm, not definitely. only not only not only combat, but storytelling, uh, threading, character options, how uh choices have consequences there's so much of that type of stuff that you can learn from as a dm making good characters like even goblins they're not generic they all have Mm -hmm. very they're all very all the characters have a lot of personality um and they make you think about these these other uh, races and species and monsters in a different light um so it's there's it's a lot to be learned. I feel like uh, a lot of things you could take away 
from that back to your own games. Yeah. And uh, just playing through this has made me a better player already as well. So not only are you inspired as a DM for, you know, story fights, everything like that, but as a player, it's made me think a lot more strategically and also a lot more creatively creatively that's how you say that creatively yeah (laughs) creatively um you know going forward in the game and i'm very excited for our next session to plus five to you know get in there and really think a little bit more outside of the box than i normally do yeah i think this is a very good game for teaching outside the box thinking yes definitely yep yep Okay, well, I mean, we could talk about Baldur's Gate 3 for a long time. I mean, uh, we, we can just stop and go and play instead, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we could talk about it a lot more, but we're not going to do any spoilery stuff. There's still, it just came out, what, like two, two-ish weeks ago. There's a lot of people still playing through it. There's a lot of people just starting. Like, like we talked, it's a big game. Larry and themselves have said it's a 100-plus hour game mm-hmm. on a normal playthrough. So uh, there's so much to do an incredibly rich content filled world uh very much worth the 60 dollars 15 out of 10 highly recommend yes very much so <sighs> okay Whew. man just so good uh we but we spent 40 minutes talking about that it's uh that's uh and we could spend more yeah, but we have we have some news. We have some we news. We have a to talk lot about. of news. There's a lot of news, so I I want to make sure we touch on all the things uh, before we before we kind of uh, close on this episode. First of which, um, there was a little bit of controversy with the brand new uh, Big B presents Glory of the Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we wanted to touch on mostly because Wizards actually responded to it. So uh, as many people know, there's been a very big um, discussion on AI-generated things, AI-generated text, AI-generated images, and such like that. I am am personally of the opinion that AI-generated text and images have no place in a commercial product. Um, mm-hmm. mainly, mainly because these, these things have been trained off of, uh, things that they did not pay for, uh, art by other artists that they did not get permission to train off of, uh, stuff from the internet that, uh, they had no consent to train off of. Uh, so I think, I think especially from a commercial perspective that AI in general is, is very, problematic especially if you're trying to use it to write something uh like an adventure or make or enhance something like a like a drawing Mm -hmm. uh for images so it came to light that one of the artists uh used ai to enhance and i'd say that in big quotes because the the images that they showed uh there's some really wonky stuff if you take a close look uh at them um and it was discovered that they they did this and wizards came out and said uh we were not aware that they did this this is someone we had worked with for uh several years uh and this is kind of the first time this has come up however uh they released 
a statement on it. And I think, and I think this is a very, and they released it fairly quickly within, mm-hmm. within a few days of this coming to light. So I think they, they're starting to learn hopefully from the, the OGL fiasco and they're trying to respond in a quicker time frame and such, which I think is, is very good. But essentially they said, uh, why didn't you catch this? We commissioned the artwork more than a year ago. Uh, they had, didn't have an AI policy in place as part of the standard working process for the artists. Um, we saw the artwork as an evolution of the artist's professional style, but didn't realize that they had changed in their tools or process. But uh, they recommissioned all the art mm-hmm. that uses generative AI. So they actually pulled the pictures from D&D Beyond. So the, the digital versions of them are gone and they're going to replace the digital versions with the new ones when they are done and approved. Uh, and then any new prints of the book will also have the new ones as well. Yeah. And I, I'm actually really happy with that because I mean, they're making a statement They're They're really going with how I feel a lot of the community, you know, feels about this, which is, you know, AI is a very strong tool that, um, a lot of people are not getting credit for their work for. And as you said, it's, it's not exactly the, the best business practice to go for it. Um, when asked about whether they would continue working with this artist or not, they said that they're going to continue to work with them only because they didn't have the AI policy in place beforehand. Now that that policy is in place, you know, they, they couldn't just upright fire him for doing something that they didn't have a policy against yet. Um, and going forward, I'm pretty sure that this artist definitely won't be making that same mistake again. That's that's the hope, right? Yeah. They well, at least they for did, wizards. Yeah, at least for <laughs> wizards. They did say um, they uh, pulled the art. The change is visible for anyone who pre-ordered. They're recommissioning it, uh, and for the future reprints in the digital compendium, multiple members of the art team and the art team leadership personally re-reviewed each piece of art in glory of the giants deck of many things fan delver and below the shattered obelisk planescape adventures in the multiverse for potential ai art usage mm-hmm. uh and they are looking into using tools to help detect that in the future but they are also putting a policy in place uh to say that uh ai art is not to be used for any of their books yeah, and I love the the last little bit here, which is the heart of D and D is human creativity and imagination. We will continue to commission and to commission and employ human artists to make D and D books and game products. No more robots. Yeah. So this is this is good. This is this is all in all, this is a huge win. Mm-hmm. It sucks. It sucks that it got through, but at the same time, uh, this is this is a very recent new thing like in the last year or so has this really become big and really started moving into a place where uh it doesn't look like complete crap right Mm -hmm. exactly Um, but again one of the reasons it doesn't is because it's training off of real artists Mm -hmm. most of whom uh had no idea or did not consent to it so it's it's very good that they are putting an ai art policy in place um, uh, or a no AI in place for writing for, for art. Uh, that's exactly the kind of response we're hoping to see. And that's, that's something I can very much support. Same. Um, so that's good. 
Uh, next, we have something that I don't feel is quite as good. Uh, <laughs> so Wizards released uh, a video uh, talking about the survey for Playtest 5. Um, and this is kind of talking about, you know, Warlock, Wizard, uh, some of the big changes they've made with spells and stuff. Uh, the good or bad news, depending on what your thoughts on those were, is they're rolling a lot of them back. Like, a yeah, lot. Surprisingly. Uh, yeah. Um, some of the stuff was unpopular, but it felt like some of the stuff was actually... Uh, actually quite popular. So first off, they talked about the good stuff. Um, Weapon Mastery is here to say it's going to be a core feature in the 2024 Player's Handbook for six classes, uh, likely Fighter, Barbarian, Rogue, Paladin, Ranger, and Monk. Uh, Big thumbs up. That's great. Uh, Weapon Mastery just adds more fun and more interesting things you can do. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the Baldur's Gate 3, them having something like weapon mastery uh, that you can do. So big thumbs up there. Uh, the barbarian was very popular. Frenzy berserk in particular uh, hit 84% satisfaction, um, much improved. Uh, but uh, the universal spell list. So like that divine primal arcane spell list that has been going on for the last year or so uh, they said they're doing away with them and going back to class-specific spell lists. I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah. I kind of liked the fact that they categorized everything into an overarching spell list. Like, I, I understand wanting to give, especially from a wizard perspective, the unique spell lists for certain classes and stuff like that. Um, but it's really sucky because I, the, the bard being able to pick the primal divine or arcane spell list right at the beginning from this like new UA was super cool. So I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of them scrapping that. So I, here's the thing. I, I'm a fan of the lists. I think they work for some classes and you and I talked a tiny bit about this pre-show, but I think that one caster who should be outside of this list is the wizard just because everything about the wizard is, you know, research book study, learning about magic and the weave and all this stuff. So personally, I think that the wizard should have access to all the different spells. Um, just because I think that works. Maybe not, a bunch in the divine category, but you know, it, to me, it makes sense that they'd be able to kind of research and learn from the various lists. Aside from that though, I do like having, you know, a specific set of spells for a class because it does kind of stop some of the homogenization. And I think one of the reasons why it didn't work so well for like the arcane one is because you have in there, like potentially bards and then you have sorcerer and warlock and uh, wizard. Like all of them are just all the same spells. And I like the idea of each of them having kind of more of a unique flavor to it. So seeing 
what's potentially happening with warlocks. Who knows what's going to, how that's going to work out or anything, but having all of those classes, having all the same spells just doesn't sit right with me, but I like the nature spells for druids and like rangers. I like the uh, divine spells for paladins and clerics. It makes sense to me, but I don't know. That's just kind of a personal feeling. Yeah. It's it, this is that's that's this change is the mixed. Yeah, I, I definitely have mixed mixed feelings on this. Uh, Bell of Lost Souls had a, has a really good article. We'll link it. Um, that kind of covers it. Um, so they're talking about wizards. Um, big part of uh, the whole going back to the class spell list was wizards. Their overall satisfaction score took a dive from previous surveys with many players feeling dissatisfied with many of their options, including wanting a wizard specific spell list and not ashamed a shared arcane spell list. Or so they say in their reasoning from changing the universal spells back. Mm -hmm. One of the big things though, that they talked about was satisfaction scores for the features versus the classes, not lining up necessarily. And a lot of people, if you go to the YouTube video are commenting I think very, very reasonably that things like the reason satisfaction score for the class and the individual features don't match up is that features we don't have are included in the class score. Yeah. Like the discrepancy between overall class satisfaction and individual feature satisfaction is probably due to things that aren't present in class design. For me, for example, the fighter didn't have any out of combat features in its base class, which is a big issue, but its combat features were solid. Like. The. Yeah, the mixed feedback for the wizard wasn't fear of class identity. It was the fact that it was significantly buffed despite being one of the more powerful classes like mm -hmm. there's it's that's that like they seem to not understand that a single poor feature can spoil a class. That is what features will all almost always rate higher than the class as a whole. And so I think that comes into play in a lot of ways. Like uh, they say here, it couldn't possibly be that wizards had all their class features suddenly become weird little spell things and spell things that made them markedly more powerful. Even mm -hmm. like I had a huge, uh, for those that remember, I had a huge problem with uh, that the wizard stuff stuff becoming spells instead of actual features. Mm -hmm. And so like I can rate specific things. It's there's a disconnect right between uh, your satisfaction with the class and satisfaction with individual features. Exactly. Um, because in my mind, I think that is more so the the class is more I'm dissatisfied because the class is missing something like I feel like you have 20 levels. There should be something to look forward to every level mm -hmm. besides just a hit point boost or maybe an extra spell slot. Yeah, like each level of every class should feel impactful in some way. Or why is there a level? Yeah. That's that. It, that's how I think about it, right? Like, if I if I level up, and there's nothing, but like an extra spell slot of the same level spell I already have, and some extra hit points, that that's that is something that sh you should look at and go. There needs to be something else here. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And several classes have that. Like, I I know they've been trying to fill a few more of those holes but there are still several classes that have those holes 
And I don't think there should be those holes. Now, if it's a level where I get hit points and then I get level four spell slots where I didn't have them before. Okay. That's different. Yeah, that's exactly. a brand new class of spells. Uh, that is a, it's a big new feature, right? But if it, yeah, if it's something like, oh, uh, as a rogue, I get more hit points. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just one of those, it's one of those things where there, there needs to be something cool mm-hmm. that, no, I, I that every you. class has at every level. Yeah. And you know, Again, we're still at the the refining phase of this. Um, the next play test is going to have a whole bunch of changes to the warlock, as well as I'm sure other classes as well. So, in theory, I mean, th- this is definitely not the end all be all of what's going to happen going forward for 2024. They're still working on all of this. So, uh, you know, I hope it kind of leans more towards that way, and especially the fact that uh, all of us want all those holes filled. Yeah. And just and speaking of the warlock, so the warlock got changed back like almost completely back to the back to its current version. Packed magic's coming back. Um, uh, I love the article says uh, they got to make score. Packed magic is coming back to make them feel like more like the 2014 version. This isn't necessarily what people are asking for, but that does seem to be the core direction Wizards is following. Mm-hmm. If something isn't working, step back to the 2014 version, which again, I don't like that because that really snuffs creativity, but because they've given themselves this artificial goal of 2024, which again, I hate that they did that. It's, it's, it's lining up with some arbitrary anniversary thing. I don't feel like they should have, have tied themselves to that date because I feel like they could have done, I, I, I wish they would have taken their time mm-hmm. to really refine it. If this is going to be the thing we're going to be playing with for the next decade, which it sounds like it is, then I want them to take their time and really refine and come up with interesting, cool new things and not do it, just revert back to what it was before because, oh, we're arbitrarily out of time because we have to hit X date for no particular reason. Right. Um, They did say they'll have some more Eldritch invocation options, which is good. But then they also took away what I thought was very popular of letting the player choose the score for the warlock. It -hmm. let them choose wisdom, charisma, or intelligence to base their warlock on, which I thought was fantastic. It's an interesting way of going about it. And I think it's pretty cool. You know, you can totally build your warlock character how you want, especially if you're doing like a um, a hexblade warlock, like having that and going along with spell casting. You know, you have to juggle a lot of different uh, um, stats and being able to, you know, kind of choose something that like fits and flows well with you and the way that your character is going gives you all those more options. And I agree with you. I think that that's kind of a bummer that they're taking that away. It's especially because another intelligence based class, I think, would be interesting mm-hmm. or being able to do another intelligence based class yep. would be would be interesting. So I'm it's it's very it's very sucky that they're they're taking away more options like that. So yeah. overall mixed bag, it 
like the article is saying, it does seem very much like, oh, if something's not quite working, we're at the point where it's just like, oh, better revert it mm -hmm. because we're running out of our arbitrary time, which again, it's, it's very disappointing. It's yep. very disappointing that we could get, we could lose out on cooler design or more, more forward thinking stuff or bigger changes because they're trying to hit an arbitrary date and then things will be stuck like that for the next 10 years. Exactly. So anyways, it'll be interesting to see what comes of, uh, UA six, especially considering some of these changes revert some of the things that are in UA six that people are still, <laughs> uh, surveying mm -hmm. on. Uh, so that's, it, it's kind of funny and I'm, we'll see I'm how it goes. Interested. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to see how that goes. If all of a sudden they're changing these things and then the next survey data, <laughs> because it's based on this, uh, says something else. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. Um, also, uh, recently Gen Con happened, uh, and there was some interviews with, uh, Jeremy Crawford and some of the other, uh, D and D people, uh, where they talked a bit about the new DMG and the new monster manual, uh, specifically, uh, they're saying, uh, the new DMG is going to be more show, less tell. It'll come with a campaign model to help you design your own. You'll get to walk through everything from planning adventures to building a setting, which is one great. That's like there. And then they're reordering it uh, to make far more sense for if you're a new person to put the stuff that you need to know about first, first, <laughs> what a what a novel idea. Um, and uh, they also talked a little bit about uh, something new that I hadn't really heard of before called the bastion system. Uh, apparently Jeremy Crawford mentioned it briefly at the tail end of last year, but bastions will be player bases uh, of operation and add an element of base building to your party. Um, so this is that that's, that's super cool. I, I love that they're adding rules for, like party homes or bases or such. And there'll be rules that allow uh, as the party gets more powerful, the base can too. different upgrades within game benefits. Uh, mostly these sound like new things. Your party can do build ships, start guilds, recruit hirelings. Um, but they're hoping to get the first version. Uh, they said the rollout, the first, I assume UA of that, at the end of this year or early in 2024, which again tells me it feels like these books are probably aimed for the back half mm -hmm. of they, 2024, which yeah, at this point they have to be, I like, I can't imagine they wouldn't be. And they, they haven't set a date in 2024, which feels like a good hedge or bet. Like mm -hmm. in some ways I'm hoping if they have to stick to this arbitrary 2024 date, Make it holiday 2024. Yeah. Uh, give yourself as much time as you can to to get this right. I mean, it it just kind of seems like the right time to release something big like this, especially with how big D&D uh, has grown. So, yeah, the holiday season is the perfect time for a release on all this stuff. Yeah. They also talked a little bit about the new monster manual, more than 500 monsters in the core book, including new high CR monsters, yay. Uh, new and yay. Yeah. New NPC groups, 
monsters that have been optimized for fun and challenge. Uh, NPC groups apply to monsters as well. One of the big concepts was having families of monsters, similar to how dragons come in a variety of CRs, from wormlings to ancient. Uh, so you might find a number of different liches um, uh, for uh, different CRs, which is super cool. Uh, it's it's uh, I love the idea of here's some cool monsters or some uh, you know significant uh, significant monsters, and then here they are at a few different CR difficulty levels. Mm-hmm. So that if you're running a lower level campaign, you can use this cool lich that is a not as powerful lich as big daddy lich uh, who's up here at CR 18 or you know <laughs> you know whatever. So uh, as, as I've said before, I really hope, and I don't, they, they haven't really released any stuff for the new monster manual yet. I hope they put out some previews soon. Um, but uh, I do have to give a shout out to uh, MCDM's Flea Mortals, which is uh, MCDM's new monster book. I cannot recommend that book enough. It has, in my opinion, the best monster design of any third party or first party monster book. Really? That is their, their design or that style or, and that level of interestingness and fun is exactly the kind of thing I want to see from all monster design going forward. Like that's it. They just, they just have really nailed the, the fun, categorization of the types of monsters, making them interesting to fight against and to play uh, as uh, giving them a lot more things to do actions, bonus actions, reactions, villain actions, which are kind of like uh, uh, legend, like large legendary actions that can happen just once. And you can kind of pick the round you want to use them in uh, if it's, if it's a big boss and, uh, so quick shout out to that because it's an incredible, incredible monster book. Uh, they did a great job and I'm hoping uh, as wizards drops their new base monster manual that we see more design like that and not just dragons with breath attack, claw, bite, tail. Mm-hmm. And a legendary action of claw and tail and uh, wing. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like dragons are awesome, but as I've said before, they are one of the most boring. Generically, the their baseline is one of the most boring monsters to run. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, few other small things. Uh, they said they were going to revisit uh, classic campaign settings uh, in the upcoming, you know, in the upcoming years, which will make a lot of people happy. I'm sure. Uh, they also talked a little bit about um, lack of high-level adventures and future plans to support high-level characters. Uh, I think, as as we've said before, I think we're at a time, we're at a base where 5e is mature enough that I would love to see uh, more official support from Wizards for high-level. They talked about it a little bit. Um, it's kind of a little cagey. They did mention that the new monster manual is going to have a lot more uh, brand new high CR threats, which is which is a good good direction. The upcoming Planescape product has a level jump For into reasons. into the teens, 
uh, as well, which is which is a good thing because I think we were uh, at a little bit of a chicken and an egg point where it's just like high level play doesn't see much happening, but then at the same time there's no official stuff for high level play. So how are people gonna learn? Like I I, I feel like Wizards really needs to go. Okay, we're gonna release a ten through twenty or a 10 through 17 or a 10 through 18 or a 12 through 17, something mm-hmm. that's only high level that is official that people can then go, this is, oh yeah, this is how I run a high level campaign. Yeah. I and, have a reference point. And, and the thing is too, is that, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, since the pandemic have picked up Dungeons and Dragons. A lot of people have continued playing those games and, you know, are able to, uh, you know, navigate through their lives to continue campaigns going higher and higher. Uh, like me, you know, we started our campaign way near the beginning, uh, I think even before the, the, the pandemic. And we're at level 13 or 14 now. My goal is to hit 20. You know, that that's what I want to do. And, yeah. you know, with that in mind, I'm going to have to kind of wing it and figure out how the heck to do higher level stuff. Because... You know, my characters are getting so OP that I really just have to, you know, figure out really good plot points. I have to figure out what they're going up against. And I mean, by the end of it, it's going to be, you know, they are able to take out massive, gigantic, huge threats as opposed to just, you know, a group of bandits when you're level two. So, you know. It's going to be fun. And I'm actually really excited to to dip my toes into that, even without any help from Wizards. And then, you know, once Wizards finally catches up and has some of that stuff, see what they recommend and kind of how to do it. Yeah, they talked about the data showing a lot of campaigns are in the one to ten region, right? That's that's kind of where they play. That's kind of where they end. Um, they want to focus our time on what will appear to appeal to the largest number of people. Um, it does mean often we create for levels one through 10, uh, at the same, which, which there's a lot of stories you can tell in that one through 10 range that are a little simpler, easier to run, easier to grasp. Mm -hmm. But then I would also make the counterpoint. There's a lot of stories that you cannot tell in the one to 10 range where you need that 10 to 20 range to tell those stories. Is it a little harder? Yes. Could wizards do a lot better of a job in helping guide people in how to do that? Very much so. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm hoping that this Planescape adventure, uh, we're going to talk about it. They released a free adventure um, that's level 16. Uh, so I'm hoping that we see more of that type of thing. And then we see a full product that's just based in that tier three, tier four region that really gives people... Uh, a great way to start high uh, and experience how to run high. Because I, I I may be atypical. Um, and, and I guess you might be too, but my campaigns were 9, 13, and 15 mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, one, one campaign almost kind of dipping its toes just about basically into tier four, a, a solidly tier three, and, a, and an almost tier three yeah. campaign. Uh, so it's it's possible. It's doable. It's fun. It is incredibly fun. Uh, I mean, heck, you've heard our stories. You've yeah. heard our stories like th- those are coming off of those 
high teens, uh, uh, the the teens campaigns that mm-hmm. were that we are ran or are running currently. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a big thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and speaking of that, uh, just to kind of dive into the last few bits of of news, uh, Wizards, along with uh, Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants, released a standalone adventure called giants of the star forge um this is a free product that you can claim on dnd beyond we'll have the link in the show notes on dndiscussions.com uh in giants of the star forge the party is tasked with the daring rescue of a famed smith it is a level 16 adventure inspired by resources provided in glory of the giants uh super cool so this is like i said this is a good start this is this is the type of thing I'm hoping we see in this next 10 years of of D&D fifth edition uh, to where we see more of this high level stuff, more of these high level stories being told uh, and more flexibility and cool stuff that your characters can do. Exactly. So I looked through it. It looks pretty cool. I haven't had it might a chance, be a fun, of, but yeah, might be a fun one shot to run. Oh, um, heck yeah. I know so many people who would love to make level 16 characters. To one shot something. I know I would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Basically, also, I always want to just play whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially high level things. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Uh, and also as a freebie to celebrate the release of Baldur's Gate 3. Um, D&D Beyond is giving away Baldur's Gate 3 dice, digital dice uh, that have the cool little Larian symbol uh, on them. As well as the... Uh, six origin character character sheets, which are very well done and beautifully crafted, cool art uh, and such that you can download. So we'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, all all really cool. If you wanted to play <laughs> as one of those characters in a real game, uh, they provide you the base level one character sheet. Uh, and if you like the if you want another free set of digital dice, uh, they're there as well. Exactly. So definitely check those out. And if you're a dice goblin like, like me, you like digital as well as real. That is very true. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, uh, of course, we have the official D&D releases. Uh, and this is, we were talking about this before we started <laughs> recording. And it's it's super ironic that they, they came out and said uh, in one of the interviews at Gen Con, we don't want to overload people with content. We want to make sure it's spread out. Some of the problems with the older editions is they just put too much out per year and people just couldn't. There is no even hope of people being able to run it all. Uh, then I look at the release schedule for the end of this year and I go, Glory of the Giants, the Obelisk, uh, Fandelver, the, the, the Dark Obelisk or, or whatever it is, Planescape Adventures in the Multiverse, the deck of many things. It's just like, that's four things in like a four or five month period. Wizards. Yeah. Not to mention the the two or three things you already released this year. What it, it feels to me is if I mean, that statement might be true still that, that they said it feels to me they're doing like a content dump <laughs> of all the rest of their like, quote unquote, legacy stuff before uh before the 2024 revision comes out that's, but that's at least kind of what it feels like definitely what it feels like very much so yeah uh so 
it is it is coming it is coming so on september 5th or uh, on september 19th i should say Fandelver and below the shattered obelisk is coming out this is an adventure uh it's going to kind of pick up from where uh the the lost mines in Fandelver, one of the the intro like the i believe the initial intro campaign um so it will be very familiar uh to to people um and kind of continue in that vein uh it releases september 19th and uh if you pre-order you get early access on dnd beyond on the september 5th mm-hmm. then coming october 3rd so barely a month less than a month later uh uh the well september october 3rd is the early access but October 17th being the actual drop. So basically just a month later, mm-hmm. you have Planescape Adventures in the Multiverse, which is like that three book collection of um, Sigil and the Outlands, kind of the setting book, then Turn of Fortune's Wheel, which is the adventure set in Sigil, Sigil, Sigil. Uh, and the Outland, which is designed for characters of levels three to ten, with a jump to seventeen. Fun. Yes, yes, very cool. Um, and then uh, Mort's Planner Planer Parade. I am just that tongue tying all over the place. Uh, which is a sixty-four page book that has like a uh, monster manual, basically. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so th- another little like three three B set of books. Um, to kind of cover sigil and the some of the multiverse stuff and the and the outlands uh comes with a nice little dm screen uh a map uh the three three different books uh so like i said that comes out on october 17th and yep. then and then a month, <laughs> november, a month later yes a month later november 14th <laughs> the deck of many things drops uh and this is this is kind of an interesting well, the, book. the book of many things that comes with a deck of many things. Yeah, yeah, book of many things with the with the deck of many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's not a source book, and it's not an adventure book, but it's not necessarily a rules book either. It's kind of a weird. It's a many things one off. Yeah, it's kind of a weird one off. So it's a 192 page hardcover book uh, inspired by the deck of many things. So they expand the current deck of many things to 66 cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an 80 page hardcover guidebook showcasing each card uh, and a custom box to store the guidebook and all 66 physical cards uh, that are illustrated um, nicely and such. Uh, so this is, it's, it's like a, it's like a hundred dollars. Like this is, this is a, this yeah, is for a the, for the, the, the physical version of it. Yeah. yeah the, the physical Digital version, for sure. 30 bucks, but you don't get the cards and stuff. But the book itself does come with two new backgrounds, a feat, um, some spells, 30 new monsters, over 50 magical items, and then uh, different trap or uh, traps, different tools for DMs like traps, location maps, and more. So, I mean, it really is a smattering of like a, a grab bag of a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a here's a mishmash of a ton of stuff. Uh, that personally, this is not a book that really interests me that much. Um, I, I have no real desire to use the deck of many things. Um, 
certain campaigns probably could use it, but it's it has uh, the potential to really throw things for loops, uh, depending on the cards you get and just not having seen the expanded deck, just knowing, you know, what's what's in the <laughs> the current deck of many mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, but if if that was something that you wanted to do, and if that was something, especially if you are in person, uh, it could make a very cool hand, like physical handout to have people draw the cards or or something like that. Uh, so there's there's definitely uses for it as well. And like you said, it comes with a little extra content uh, on the player facing side, magic items and such. Um, yeah, I know. I'm definitely I don't think at this one's least getting digital at least because I like having access to as many monsters and magic items and everything that I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I may end up grabbing the, the digital at some point. Uh, but this is definitely not a physical release for me. I mean, it's really expensive, but I'm not going to lie. It is tempting just because I mean, having the deck would be cool, but it's more of a, it's cool to have the deck than, you know, any real reason I'm actually going to use it. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. So, yeah, <laughs> lots of things, lots of official things coming. Uh, pick and choose wisely based on your needs or uh, not needs. Yeah, but it's it is a content barrage uh, before the end of the year. So uh, we'll we'll see how things go. Very true. Uh, with that, I think that brings us to the end of the episode yes so uh as always we usually wrap up with talking a little bit about what's going on in our own games so ben have you had a a session since we we last last talked yes we did um so previously they had uh gone to the the plane of or well, the city of Dis, um, trying to figure out uh, how they're going to infiltrate a stronghold to get an artifact. You know, that's uh, basically the uh, uh, champions looking for their artifact. We're going to try and figure this out. So they did some planning, got on a lava boat, uh, split up into uh, three groups of two, and hid themselves in some storage crates and everything to be loaded, uh, taken from the boat and loaded into some storehouses. So had them roll to see which storehouse they went into. And they, of course, uh, they did split up. So we had uh, two groups going into the more dangerous one. And then one group going into the, hey, this is the safe one that everybody wanted to go to. But uh, through some uh, very clever, uh, familiar sneaking around and, and poking around and looking and stuff. We kind of got a good lay of the land, figured out what was going on um, through the changeling turning into a tiefling and, and acting very much in charge and like she owned the play or he owned the place. Uh, we're able to kind of get past some Duragar that were guarding it and everything and uh, knocked them out and, you know, blocked entrances down into the storage rooms, which came into the fortress and kind of worked their way through things. And, they're uh, continuing uh, going to be part two coming this Saturday. And I'm looking forward to uh, what they're doing. I mean, they were very smart in how they infiltrated. Uh, they bypassed a lot of stuff and a lot of uh, traps and monsters like, you know, a beholder, a dragon, um, potentially bypassing a djinn, which is, uh, you know, may come into play later, may not. Who knows? Um, but 
Yeah, they're they're doing pretty good. I've always said that my group is incredibly intelligent and smart, and they've been able to think their way through a lot of the, uh, you know, trouble ahead. Good thing that they were able to get a map of the complex. So yeah, maps are useful. Very much so. In fact, they even saw a, uh, uh, or they were able to figure out that there was a secret passage because of the map that they had been given. Because when nice. they're in the room, there was no door there. So boom, worked out really well. Yeah, that's that's fun stuff. Exactly. Being able to to have stuff like that. Yep. So I'm looking forward to next session. We'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, hopefully they live through it. Now, you, <laughs> though, you had an epilogue. You, you finally uh, were able to, to sunset yeah. uh, your second campaign. So um, how did that go? I, I know we kind of talked about uh, epilogues in the last episode, but, um, you know, having the, the final epilogue and stuff going on, uh, like, how was it? How to go? And uh, what happened? It, it was fitting. We talked about it uh, almost like we planned it. Yes. <laughs> In fact, um, no, I used a lot of the stuff uh, that we we had talked about. It was it ended up being a, a, a super, super good session. Um, one huge shout out to my players for bringing uh, all of them basically wrote up stuff for their epilogue um, and came came prepared uh, and had thought through what their characters wanted to do and such. So what I did is I ended up taking it. I, I was like, this is not going to be a, a normal session. This is going to be a lot of narration and vignettes, right? So we, we basically handled, Hey, here's what is happening immediately after the last session took place in the mm -hmm. next few days. Uh, so then we went around and involved other characters as need be little role play here and there were needed, uh, but a, a lot of narration. And I let I let my players talk a lot more than I did um, during the epilogue session, which I think is is how it should be. Yeah, um, because they're they're the, they're ones, the ones saying that, what what happened. That are, yeah, yeah the, they they're saying what happened. They're closing these things off. Um, so then we jump from right after a few days after to a few weeks, a few months after um, and where they were in that interim time in the middle. And then we jump to two or three years after. Right. And because, and I, I kind of kept it there and I, I told them specifically keep that a little more vague because this is a living world. Your characters are in. This is not like a, a module we're closing the book on. Mm -hmm. This is my living homebrew world. So these characters will still be out there. They're still going to be doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we kept it like this is kind of the what I see them doing type thing more a lot more. So there, there's a few specifics, obviously, but a lot more. So this is the general idea of what my character would be doing in the future. Yeah. Type thing. So then I can take that, make note of it, and then maybe they pop up at some point in a, in a future campaign. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that. Uh, it was really good. Uh, there were a lot of a lot of really good moments, a lot of things uh, that we were able to get get wrapped up. Um, then we took some time and talked a uh, little roundtable. What were your favorite parts? Kind of just a little reminiscing session of uh, what were your favorite moments? Uh, what were the things you remember the most? Uh, and then we finished up the last 30 or 40 minutes with a little Q&A of 
hey, what questions do you have for me, the DM, about the campaign? Mm -hmm. Like, what ifs, things that we didn't touch on, threads that weren't pulled, that type of thing. And we had like an ask me almost anything because, you know, some of these players uh, may play in this world again down the road at some point. Yeah. So it's not like a full on spoiler thing for necessarily larger world things. But I was able to answer uh, a lot of questions that came up uh, about the world, about the campaign specifically. Uh, so that was a, uh, a lot of fun being able to reveal, pull back the curtain on on a few things. Uh, so overall, uh, I was very happy, very happy with it. Uh, great epilogue and a and a phenomenal closure to a three year campaign that went from level three to level fifteen. That's so, great. Yeah, I I am I will have lots of wonderful fond memories uh and that was that was kind of the the covid campaign yeah uh, helping to get through <laughs> helping all of us get through the um the doldrums and the uh the lockdowns and the all the staying at home and and such for the last last few years so it was a it was a very memorable campaign and uh uh i'm very happy with where we kind of got to the character progression and, and how things ended. Well, that's good. I'm really happy for you because yeah, that's, it's a lot of time and, and dedication for everybody to put into it. And I mean, not just you creating the world, but you know, I'm looking forward to, I'm not saying I want the game to end right now, but I'm looking forward to a good epilogue with mine because mm -hmm. you know, they've toured the world. They've saved it once so far. They're in a big plot for, potentially saving it again. And, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, that's great. And, and honestly, I'm, I am looking forward to the next campaign that I run eventually. Yeah. Uh, there is going to be a break and I am very much looking forward to, to that too. Definitely. I've been running several campaigns for the last six plus years at this point. So it is, it is time for a, a well-deserved break uh creative recharge before i step back into the arena well there you go and with that that's a show yes it that is. is that is it for us uh but uh, as always before we go uh, ben, why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached? You bet. Um, if you're looking to kind of discuss some of the things that you're loving about Baldur's Gate 3, please no spoilers, because again, I'm still very early in it. Um, or, you know, you want to talk about some of the changes that are that have happened in the playtests or whatnot, or just anything in general. You can always email us and send those to deandiscussions at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. On top of that, if you want to reach out online, uh, we are all over the place on Blue Sky. Well, not really all over the place, but you can find the show at D and discussions. You can find Ryan. He is at TBK Zord. You can find me. I am at Ben Bumhofer. Now, since this is episode 95, that means there are 94 other episodes. And guess what? D and D fifth edition doesn't change a whole lot, even though it's going to kind of soon. But most of those episodes are still applicable today. So if you like this episode and you want to hear more, guess what? Go listen to a whole bunch of other ones. They're on dndiscussions.com as well as on your podcast player of choice. So check it out. Um, if you're interested in learning or not learning, but listening to us play uh, right now, Ryan's character is off on some secret mission, maybe to outer space. Who knows? 
Um, but I am running around in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden on plus five to hit. Uh, you can check out uh, Fallen Foxgrove, the bard who really needs his sister back because he's making very poor decisions. Um, but check that out. I have a lot of fun with that. Um, we had some real life stuff happening, so our next episode is going to be delayed, but it should be out uh, in, in the next couple weeks or so. Uh, but uh, check that out. Hope you like it. Um, this episode, though, is coming to a close. Ryan, again, it is always a pleasure talking to you. I love geeking out about D&D and this episode, especially about Baldur's Gate. And I know that as time goes on, I'm going to keep messaging you and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this worked or I can't believe this happened or holy crap. What did, what did you do here? And all that stuff. So it's happened looking forward multiple to that. times already. Yes, definitely. Disguise self. That's all I'm going to say. It's a great spell. Anyways, yep. um, with that, everybody, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate every single one of you. And remember, roll high and be good to each other. Take care. And we'll see you soon.